When I scan somebody that has high blood pressure issues, I always recommend the Zona Plus. It's a device that you squeeze with your hand. It reminds me of a video game controller that the kids use, and it helps regulate your blood vessels. It was realized working with fighter pilots that when they were going mock, they were taught to grab the joystick in the cockpit and squeeze it really hard. And they realized that it was regulating some of those pilots' blood pressure. So they came up with that technology in a device that we can use at home. So give it a try. It's called the Zona Plus. And you can go to Zona, Z as in zebra, O-N-A dot com. And at your checkout, put in the coupon code, just put in Julie Ryan. All together, no space, and you'll get $50 off. So give it a try. If you've been listening to my show, you know we talk a lot about mold and viruses and germs and jazz like that. Well, I found out about a company called True 47, and they're harnessing the power of silver to enhance people's health and well-being. And you know I'm a huge fan of colloidal silver, and these guys use the silver in their products. They've got antimicrobial properties that inhibit the growth of viruses, fungi, and germs on contact, and in many cases, skin irritations and conditions including acne. So you want to go check it out. Go to True47, T-R-U-4-7.com, and use the code JULIE20. Again, that's true, tru 47com and use the code JULIE20 and you'll get a 20% discount. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm so delighted you could join us this week because we have Dr. Lenore Matthew with us. And you guys are going to love, love, love her. She's done a lot of research about how spirituality can help people heal in a multitude of ways. So as you know, I got lots of questions for her. So Dr. Lenore, thanks for coming and joining us this week. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I'm delighted to be here. We Before we started recording, we were talking about that we're both Big Ten girls. She went to Illinois and I went to the Ohio State University, as you all know. And uh, so we were talking football and talking about important things to to Midwestern girls who don't live in the Midwest anymore. But, you know, just it's kind of innate, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, good. Well, your doctorate in social work has given you the skills and um, abilities to do a lot of research about how science and spirituality work together to heal grief and trauma. I'm so intrigued by this. I just want to hear 
what you've come up with, like give us some highlights. And then how'd you get into that? How did you, how did you pick that? That's such a, such a uh, pointed topic that uh, I would think you just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to do some research on spirituality and grief. So I want to hear the backstory. I want to hear about what you're, what you're finding in your research. Well, thank you so much for putting it out there. It was absolutely not something that I just woke up one day and said, and so it is, um, or perhaps maybe in some way, that's exactly how it happened in the backdrop. But uh, so my doctorate is in social work. My technical expertise is in program evaluation. And so in, in an international context as well. So I used to work in the policy world. I was at the United Nations, at the headquarters, and also in international non-for-profits for several years. And so my job was to assess policies and programs and look at how they affect human well-being. Very data-driven, qualitative, meaning interviews, and quantitative, quantitative excuse me, meaning statistics. Uh, but it was, my life was basically, show me the data, if you want me to believe something exists, then I need to see those facts. My path towards researching spirituality and intuitive practices and intuitive awakenings as well opened up from my own experience. And that's oftentimes the case with those of us who are researching in this field. But in 2020, I lost my husband. He unexpectedly passed away. And the night that he passed was the first night that he came to me in a mediumistic communication. And I realized in months after reconciling what had happened as he continued to come back, and it was sometimes multiple times a day we would have interactions. And I realized I actually started to have premonitions and precognitive dreams about several months, about six months before he passed. And I'm starting to remember things as well. At first it's like, no, it was a few weeks. Then I realized, no, it was three months. And then I started realizing it was actually about six months when they began. I didn't understand them at the time. And being such a data-oriented person, I had no compass for understanding. When my husband passed, and it was completely out of nowhere, and we were in our mid-30s, we lived a beautiful life abroad, we're expats, everything on paper was you know, perfect. We were this happy, loving couple. We'd been together for over a decade and just madly in love with each other, madly in love with him, um, and in many ways still am. And then this happened and my world was just turned upside down in multiple ways. One, I lost the love of my life when life was really getting really good, like really good as we start to move into our 30s and things that we're worried about before, we're finally reconciling things like student loan debt and, you know, being stable and things like that were starting to not be issues anymore. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And at the same time, my life is completely turned upside down because the love of my life is no longer here. Now I'm all of a sudden having these experiences that I never had or was never conscious of having before. I knew, I just, I knew, I just something in my gut, which knew not only were these experiences real, I knew they were real, but I also knew that somehow, some way, my background as a researcher would come back. Um, that took some time. Grief was, and in many ways still is, it's been three and a half years, but grief is still something that I navigate. But that first year, year and a half was just absolute chaos. And at the same time, my background as a researcher gave me really tools to understand both my grief and loss and what was happening. I knew kind of how to 
On the substantive side, I knew what to do to keep my body and nervous system at least stable, if not healthy some days. But then also having this the researcher side and the very data-heavy side and understanding how to objectively look at a situation what's happening, I was able to understand and kind of categorize and catalog my experiences. So I would keep, and I still have them, I look back and it's like, part of it was a coping mechanism through grief and part of it was I knew that this would come out someday as part of whatever my path forward would be. But I would document all of my experiences. I would make matrices of the signs of the dreams of his visitations. I would catalog objective information of what happened. I would catalog subjectively what I felt. I would write down who was with me at the time, time of day, counterfactuals of what else could be happening to cause it. And it helped me understand and trust what was happening um, and believe it. Because again, this was so out of left field for me. I didn't see spirits as a child. You know, I didn't have those experiences as a kid, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, But it helped me really trust that what I was experiencing, not only was real, but it was my husband and that I was able to contact him. So that's how it began. That's a lot for a linear thinker like you. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Talk about Shirley McLean's first book was out on a limb, you know, was about her spiritual experiences. I'm thinking, good heavens, girl, you are out on a serious limb with this. What were some of the premonitions that you had when you looked back at it and you said, even six months prior to your husband passing, what were some of those premonitions that you just thought, and and what did you think about them when Uh they came to you? So the first one that happened six months before, I had recently resigned from my job at the UN. So I was a research evaluation specialist at the United Nations. And it was, I mean, it was a job I'd been working towards for my entire doctorate. I had been working on and off with the UN as a consultant for many years. And I had this full-time position and I just knew in my gut that it wasn't quite right. So I was there for some time and I resigned. But Uno, my husband and I, we decided to take a sabbatical for a few months and just decompress. Like Again, we just wanted to be together and enjoy life. So we went to South Asia to, I was going to practice and do yoga and meditation, practice yoga and meditation and just kind of like come back into at 35. It's like, okay, where's my life going? We kind of are at this place of career is going one way. Who am I? These questions that we often have around that age. Um, and Bruno, of course, I mean, the two of us were inseparable. So obviously we went together and we were in a meditation class one night and I'll I'll never forget it. So we were laying, it was almost like a 90 degree angle. It was something where your legs are against the wall. So you're quite stable and lights were dim. And I didn't know very much about meditation, but something also was like, just like bringing me to yoga and meditation before he passed out of nowhere, really. And now I understand, I think my soul was setting me up. That was part of the deep healing and somatic healing that I did after he crossed. But we were in this meditation class next to each other. The room was quiet. Nobody else was near us. And the teacher is guiding us and then into silence. And we're laying there and auditorily out of my right ear, I will never forget it. It was a very gentle, neutral, unaccented voice, man's voice. And it said very clearly, it's not your fault. And I sat up and I looked and it wasn't, my husband had an accent, he's from Argentina, it wasn't him. It wasn't anyone else in the room. I sat up and kind of like scrambling, my legs are against the wall. I'm in this weird position. I sat up and I thought there was a man next to me. 
And I looked around and it's completely silent and still in the room. No one's near me. And so I laid back down. I was like, what was that? At the time, because I had just resigned from this very like high profile job that on paper should have been like, I'm not going anywhere for the rest of my life. This is the career of all careers. Like, how could I ever abandon that job? I thought it was, you know, I can't hack it at the UN. That's fine. I can't hack it in my career. And I have no idea what I'm being led to, but it's something else. And it's not my fault that that happened. Six months later, so my husband died by suicide and it was completely unexpected. There were no, at the time, warning signs at all that he was suffering. When he passed, uh, it was just, it was completely out of the blue. And any suicide loss survivor immediately like looks over, they analyze their entire life and relationship with that person. And we, uh, you can't not ask yourself, was it my fault? And as his wife, I asked myself, what did I not see? What did I, you know, what did I do? Was it something? And it's like, no, objectively, you had this incredible marriage. What was it? Later, things unraveled and I started to understand things that were hidden with his mental health that he never told me about, things uh, around complex trauma that he never told me about that I uncovered after he passed. But I heard that voice again. It was in April. So my husband passed in March. So in April, I heard it. So a few weeks later. And... Bruno had been coming to me like in dreams. He'd been coming to me in, in meditation, which I then fell into daily as a meditation practice and part of my grief healing. Again, I think I feel somehow intuitively I knew what I would have, what I would need later on. And I was in one night and just, I mean, sobbing and crying and missing him. And it had been maybe, I don't, I don't remember how long, a few days or a week or so that maybe it was a day. I don't remember. Time loses its kind of construct in grief. But it had been a couple days at least or sometime that I hadn't felt him like I did in the very beginning. And I was crying to him and just saying, like, please let me feel you again. Like, come, come to me. Let me feel I need you. I need you. I need you. And I wasn't feeling him. I couldn't feel him. He wasn't coming to me in meditation. He did come back later on. And we have a very different relationship now, many years later, but in this moment. And I'm just crying. And then all of a sudden, I heard that voice again. That male neutral, I hear it outside of my right ear, and it said, you have me. My response in that moment was, I don't want you, whoever you are, I want my husband. <laughs> but now, a few years later, I don't know, I don't know who that is. I don't know if it's a guide. I don't know if it's, who knows? Maybe it's my subconscious. I don't know. But the next morning, I woke up, and I journaled about it, and I read that journal sometimes when I go back, and I remember saying, I don't know who you are. I don't know what this is. I don't understand any of this of what's happening. But whatever it is that has me, okay, I'm open to you. And so those were the first kind of premonitions. There were other things. There were predictive dreams that happened. I had a predictive, it wasn't even a dream, actually. One, it was a moment of just almost like it was a clairvoyant experience. I, was, I remember I was folding laundry. This was a couple weeks before he passed. And all of a sudden, like I just, and now I understand it as a clairvoyant experience, but at the time I had no idea. I kind of fell into this meditative state out of nowhere. And all of a sudden I was in this, it was actually the area where we got married. It was our altar, but it was like this big green garden. And then the meditation or the experience kind of zoomed in and I was standing over my husband in a casket and I saw his funeral and I had, and he was showing again, no indication that he 
was suffering in any way. So I likened it to, I must be really stressed about something. So I just need to chill out. And I blocked it out. In my research now, so I conduct research now, I have a few studies going and I've talked to other people and other suicide loss survivors, but other survivors of traumatic loss and other survivors of, of other types of loss as well. And having these premonitions about a loved one's passing is so common. The issue is we don't know how to understand it because we have no framework, at least in you know Western society, we have no framework, we have no conceptualization. And definitely in fields like mental health or social work where I work, we don't see this as normal, nor do we see it as healthy. And looking back, and this is part of the advocacy work that I do as a social worker, now in doctor social work, these aren't meant to be scary things. Hearing that voice was reassuring, yes, but things like quote unquote hearing voices is seen so negatively in the world of social work and in the world of mental health. This was a beautiful, <laughs> right? Yeah, they, they just think you're nuts, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And this was one of the most healing things that I've, that I've held close. I didn't understand it in, in the moment. Years later, I do. But also even the premonitions and things like, you know, seeing my husband's funeral before it happened. Even that isn't, you know, scary. It's something really beautiful because I understand that my intuition and my soul were with me. They were a part of me. It maybe was trying to like shake me, like, listen to me. There's something here. But it's also like, you know, things have their course and there are so many factors at play. But if anything, it's helped me understand in my healing. And I would say this is kind of commonplace that I find in my research as well. When we start to understand our experiences, we understand they're for a reason. They're not something to be scared of. It's information. And it's information coming from beyond what our thinking cognitive mind and our social constructs of what information could be. And so it's opening up to these experiences and insights and really getting curious about them rather than labeling them as you know, scary or, or you know, dangerous or unhealthy. But it's more like, okay, this happened, it's happening to a lot of us. And there's immense healing that can come from understanding them and just getting curious about them. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. First of all, I get that that voice that you're hearing was spirit guide. It's one of your spirit guides that was talking with you. And I, it's been my experience too, Lenore, that we're all a fractal of the divine. Yay. And so when you hear that voice, it's all spirit, big spirit, God, yeah. the universe, your angels. I mean, the whole group, source, whatever you want to call it, talking through Bruno, talking through the spirit guide. I get your spirit guide's name is Harvey, by the way. That just came in that his name's Harvey. And, okay. and, you know, spirits don't have a gender, but we equate a gender with a name. So I get, it's Harvey talking to you, which I think is cute about Harvey the bunny, you know, the Jimmy Stewart movies and yeah. stuff like that. Anyways, um, that's number one. Number two, did you share with your husband these dreams that you had, these premonitions? Did you talk about them? And, and if so, what, what do you say about them? Yeah, that's so... A beautiful question. Thank you so much. I've thought about this a lot. Um, so he and I, again, in my mind, we were like, life was coasting. We were great. I was in this, again, like moved out of the UN, but then we got back to um, to life after the sabbatical. And I had this whole new energy of like, I don't know where I'm guided, but I know I'm going to start my own private practice and it's great and life is good. Um, and then I started having these experiences. And again, I didn't know how to reconcile them. So I just put them out of my mind. I told him, I didn't tell him about funeral. I didn't tell him about the voice. I did tell him about another one that I was having. There were other, another, another premonition. 
a couple of the premonitions. And I did tell him about those. And we were driving. He was driving. I was in the passenger seat. And I just remember he was looking straight ahead. And I said, you know, I want to tell you about something that's happening. I don't understand it. And he said to me, he's like, and I told him, and he said, Lenny, don't, like, don't even go there. Don't mess with those things. He would call me Lenny. And I said, I'm not messing with anything. I don't understand what's happening. Do you think I need to see a doctor? Like, again, like, why... <laughs> My frame of reference is I'm trained in mental health and in research and in data and evidence. Like, of course, I would think white coat is what I need. And he was just silent. And that was, as I see looking back, like that was how he would deal with things. He would shut off, dissociate, and he was done with the conversation. And we just, everyone kind of knew that about him. And that's exactly what he did. He had written, so he left, he left letters and he had written, and we weren't religious. Neither of us had a practicing religion. I would say, again, my soul was opening up to curiosity about spirituality. Um, by way of yoga meditation, I was starting to get curious about things like chakras. And, you know, and again, I didn't really know where this was coming from. It was just like all of these things. It was about nine, eight months or so before he passed. I just started to get really curious about these things. But he had written in one of his letters, I don't know what happens to my soul after but I hope that whatever happens is kind and gentle. I think when I brought that up, it triggered something in him that he didn't know how to respond because those are the questions that he was having. And he began to write his letters in secret three months before he passed. And so and he kept them secret, um, which again is quite common with, with suicide, which I did not know before. Um, and so it doesn't happen that when someone ends their life, it's not, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's years of accumulation and years of accumulated pain and grief that's not, and grief in different ways, but pain and trauma and loss that's not addressed. And I understand that was my husband. He kept it all inside. And ironically, this is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, November. And it's, this is so common with men, especially young men or young adult men, all men. It's so hard for men to have a place to talk and just say, I'm not feeling okay, let alone what's underneath letting that happen or making that happen. So when I brought it up to my husband, I think it was just to him, he didn't even know how to conceptualize it because he was so in his own pain and working so hard to bottle it up. Wow. Goodness. Well, do you believe that everybody can communicate with the dead or do you think it's just something that's learned. We hear these stories about, yeah, I had dead people dancing in my bedroom when I was three and I could see them. And, and I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and tell my parents about it. And my parents just, they just said, oh, you just, she just has a great vivid imagination. I learned how to communicate with spirit. I am not one of those child prodigies like a lot of mediums are. And it doesn't sound like you are either. Do you believe that everybody can learn to communicate with the deceased? I do. I do um, too. I do. So my view on learning to work with spirit. So again, it happened to me very spontaneously. It came out of nowhere with my husband. Within a month after my husband's passing, other spirits were coming to me. And then it was really blown out of the water about nine months after he crossed when I talked to a medium who I trust very much. And I had seen a few mediums throughout um, or very early grief. And that was a whole experience being a left. I've never seen a medium before. I didn't under, I didn't even know what a medium was. 
Um, but I went back to a medium that I trusted and they were so evidential. And that medium told me, Lenore, you know, you have this. I was like, oh, no, 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 thank you. No, thank you. No, 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 no. And he's like, you do, but, and you get to choose. We all choose whether we develop it, what we do with it. And so I put it up to Bruno and I said, guide me, show me how to go, what way to go forward. And he guided me to every teacher that I've ever had. And so I did study, formally study and develop um, as a medium within a year after he crossed. And my sense is, so oh, let me take a step back. How I look at mediumship and communication with spirit is it's just learning another language. It's learning another language. Everyone is born with an innate capacity to learn another language. We all have our different quote unquote accents. We all have different ways that we speak that language. We all have different ways that we communicate in that language. We also have different you know, levels of interest and in even wanting to go there. But we all have a possible a possibility and a capability to learn that language in our own flavor. In looking at, so uh, some of the people, so now the work that I do, I work with people that have had a sudden psychic awakening, usually through loss, but also through other traumatic events or different events that may have spawned it or triggered it. Um, and then I also work with people who are hoping to communicate with their loved ones and develop their own abilities. And in the work that I've done in, in my own healing, but also working with other people, it's we can have this kind of spontaneous awakening, which is what happened with Bruno and I and a lot of my research participants. And then we can also have this almost like induced experience that opens it up with, it can come from I mean, different types of somatic healing, energy healing, Reiki, um, yoga, meditation. Those can be sort of a catalyst because we're quieting the somatic body, we're quieting the nervous system. We're allowing it to move in ways that it hasn't before. We're coming into our body in ways that on the day-to-day, -day, especially when we're navigating grief or something traumatic that we're not necessarily in. Um, but we're coming into this space where all of a sudden we're moving through the body and that innately opens up then moving into the spirit and the soul. And so whether it happens spontaneously or whether it's sort of induced or brought on by something that we do in the spiritual and, and physical, somatic, physiological body, I believe absolutely and I've seen it that it can happen. And then there are ways that we develop that going forward. So I have a program that I offer that's it's 15 different ways to communicate with your loved one on the other side. They're guided practices, things like meditation, breath work, um, using tools like uh, oracle cards, all of these different ways kind of get us in that space where we can either through the body, through tools, through a meditative state, connect to spirit world and then invite whomever close who comes close. I teach it too. I teach, I, I say I'm a businesswoman that learned how to do woo-woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. So yeah, it's, been it. my, it's been my experience, Lenore, that when we connect with spirit, then you can do it all. There's no reason to silo it. And everybody communicates with spirit. They're just not aware of it. They'll yeah. have a thought that'll come in their head. Something will happen. They'll say, oh, that's, that's my deceased grandmother. And then we'll think, ah, we're just nuts. You know, that's what, that was, that was just a energy spike or something like that. That was, you know, something that was happening with the electrical grid or something. Well, no, it's that first thought that comes into your head is really what the truth is. Along those lines, it's been my experience too, in my training that everybody does this out of the shoot. I mean, we're talking for an hour and then we go into a practicum at the very beginning of my class, 
boom, they're there. They're doing it. And yeah. everybody's getting the same information and we're all validating it. And I find the key is really just to do it, practice it, practice it with the more validation you get, the more you trust it, the more you trust it. It's just second nature. And I know that you've experienced the same thing and, and perhaps people with whom you've worked have as well. Let me change topics for a minute or change directions for a minute. You mentioned that you worked at the UN and certainly you were exposed to a lot of different cultures through your work and your education. And then sounds like you've traveled abroad into different countries. Do you find that the grieving process is similar or different? And do you find similarities in wanting to communicate with deceased loved ones that crosses all cultures, all socioeconomic variables, all of that? What are you finding in your research about that on a global scale? That is such a good question. I've never been asked that. So thank you for putting it out there. So I'll say one of the studies I'm, I'm conducting now, um, the first round of research, I interviewed 31 people from across the world who had a mediumistic awakening when their loved one crossed over. And so by mediumistic awakening, it's that they were suddenly able to communicate for the first time with people who had departed. And everyone was able to communicate with their own loved one. And then multiple people were able to communicate with other spirits as well. And... I'll say, and again, there may be a bias here in terms of who participated in that study, but there were similarities, at least from this data that that I can speak to, and then just anecdotally with other people whom I've met in the grief space. So I'll say that there is a universal experience in grief in that it's both collective and very individual. And in the individuality of it, it's kind of like you can can be surrounded, you could be in a stadium. One of our football stadiums is surrounded by people. But when the person that you love more than anything is no longer physically here, you could be in that stadium, but you feel like you're the only one there. And that psychological and emotional reaction is something that's so ubiquitous and innate. And it's something that we have to go through in the grief process. I believe from my research and my own lived experience, it's in that space where we're particularly open to experiencing spirit and contact and connection. And it's like, it, and I would, in my own experience, I would say at night, like, Bruno, come close. I'm here. I need something. And whether it was Bruno or whether I just felt an energy of love, whether I just felt an alleviation, whatever it was, it's like I'm so open and needing so deeply to feel something. And it's like, you're, you're just, you're open. You're open to receiving. Um. Across cultures, there is, I mean, there are obviously differences in how we understand life and continuation of life and continuation of consciousness. In most Western societies, it's kind of like we understand that grief is a process of reconciling the fact that your person is no longer here. We're shifting in a way in the mental health space of, well, we can bring them forward with us and we can still, you know, include them in holidays and say their name. But we don't, it's, we are light years in the mainstream away from understanding that it's not just carrying forth their memory. They're actually still here. Like they're really here. They're just in a different energetic form. I do believe 
that we are seeing a collective shift around this. And going forward, I believe as a mental health practitioner, this is where we're moving towards. And openness is not for everybody and it doesn't have to be, neither is the grief experience for everybody. Uh, well, we all will go through grief, but rather a grief experience is not the same for everyone. We all have our own experience and we have to have our own unique experience. But I do believe that there's an openness to understanding consciousness and continuation of consciousness and bringing that into mental health work. And we're seeing that in a couple of ways, like even things like we're seeing the door open by bringing things like yoga and mindfulness into mental health work, where 15 years ago, that would have been just like totally out there, way out there. And now it's very normal. Uh, it's very widely accepted and it's evidence-based. There's ample peer-reviewed research on things like mindfulness, yoga, breath work. Um, and so it's kind of like we're, we're moving into a place where the body and the nervous system, we understand this is a part of healing. And inevitably, there's we move into the space where it's even beyond that then. So it's like the super conscious. Um, and just seeing as well, and collectively what's happened across the world since the pandemic, we all understand loss in a way that we never have. We're talking about grief. We're talking, the word trauma is no longer you know, poo-pooed. It's something that we can talk about without being ashamed. We can talk about going to even the basics of going to a counselor or therapy without being ashamed. And we're seeing that shift. And as we see that shift to really getting into who we are as people and as humans and as souls, it's where I do see, and I believe this, we're moving away from kind of the facade of what we present to who am I really underneath all of this. And who am I really underneath all of that? We can't not talk about our spirit and soul. Interesting. A couple of thoughts come to mind. First of all, from the collective, I always think that other cultures that are older than American cultures, because we haven't been around that long compared to most other countries and, and cultures, and we're such a melting pot of many of those countries and cultures. But I find that in other cultures, people are more innately accepting of spirit and the afterlife than perhaps in America. Although what comes to mind is when President Bush 41, the father died, I remember his granddaughter, Jenna, who's on NBC, she told the story that she was crying when her grandfather died and her daughter, who was five at the time, came in and said, mommy, Gampy needed to go to heaven to help Gammy, her grandmother, who had died a few months previous to to President Bush dying. The this child said, Mommy, Gampy has to help Gammy decorate the Christmas tree. It was a few weeks before Christmas. And Jenna said, it was obvious that this child was so spot on and so wise and so eloquent in how she presented that. And she said it comforted her more than anything else anybody else said, number one. Number two, what I found during that time to be really interesting was all of the news channels, every one of them, when somebody was being interviewed, whether it be a politician or somebody from the business world or a family member, Everybody that was interviewed about President Bush's death said, well, you know, yes, we're going to miss him, but we know he's with Barbara now, his wife, <laughs> and how <laughs> wonderful. And their, and their daughter, Robin, I even saw a cartoon that was in the New York Times of him, you know, 
in the middle, I'm getting goosebumps telling you this, in the middle of Barbara and their daughter who died when she was three or four of leukemia. And I thought, okay, it's in the na- the national psyche here in America. We don't talk about it, but for all those news networks and the and that newspaper and everybody that was interviewed to say the same thing, it's there. It's just yeah. we don't talk about it. We're we're embarrassed to to really bring it up in conversation. But the, you know, the other thing is, you go to any funeral, and they'll say, "Oh, he's in a better place. Oh, she's not suffering anymore. Oh, she's now with her husband and her children, or whatever." I think we all know it deep down. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think this goes back to the conversation we were just having. It's this stigmatization of of anything that's not, I guess, what is accepted to be the norm. So it's stigmatized to talk about, you know, I feel my deceased loved one next to me. It's stigmatized to talk about, you know, mental health. It's stigmatized all of these different things. And I guess, and it's interesting, it's almost like our interview almost parallels what's kind of happening in the consciousness and in society. It's like, these aren't things that we need to be ashamed of. On the contrary, the more that we talk about them, one, the less alone people feel, Two, we realize how common it is. And no, three, we can start to do something about it. And it's like after Bruno passed, it was almost like I just knew in my gut. I was like, you know, I'm never going to silence myself. I'm never not going to speak truth about this because somebody's got to. And there's a lot of somebody's out there talking about it, including the fact that I know that my husband is still here. And by working with him and building our relationship, it's actually helped me live a life now as you know, a young widow in a beautiful way. Life is beautiful now and healthy and happy and full and in ways that I honestly never could have dreamed of before just relying on kind of the status quo. And I think that's what's happening in society kind of paralleled across that of like, it's okay to talk about these things. And and we're seeing that in research is starting to kind of mirror that. And it's sort of like symbiotic relationship. Research fuels it and that fuels research. So in this year, in 2023, the Pew Research Center, which is a big um, non, nonpartisan think tank, they did a study and they've done other studies. So it was a survey across um, Americans of all religious backgrounds, agnostic, um, atheist, Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, et cetera. And it was about feeling your your loved one on the other side or you know, par- paranormal experiences. 58% of surveyed Americans said that they had felt a deceased loved one near them. That's wild if we think about how stigmatized it has been, but is shifting, right? But how stigmatized it's been to say, I feel my loved one next to me. Over half of surveyed and representative population or representative sample, excuse me, of the population said that, no, this has happened to me. And imagine where we're going then in grief healing. It's like, okay, so you feel them next to you. What if we built on that? Or what if we explore that relationship? It's not just a one time I feel them next to me. If we feel them, there's so much going on there if we tune in. So what if we give people the tools and space to explore that relationship? I feel my grandfather next to me. Well, why is he next to me? What is he saying? What is he hoping to you know, communicate? And by opening, I have goosebumps all over, by opening, I feel my grandpa often actually feel him next to me. <laughs> but once we open that door, it's like, wow, this incredible world of healing and growth opens up. And it's just, I mean, that goes so far and beyond what the parameters of 
traditional talk therapies say or traditional conversations around loss and grief. I mean, that just blows that out of the water and says there's entirely there's an entirely new, big, expansive world opening itself up to us. Wow, what if we engage with that? Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. and I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. And I think the other thing along those lines too is that we have access to universal information and guidance that we can get. And I call that science catching up with woo-woo. Woo-woo's been around for forever. And I believe as we become more proof-based in the past maybe 150 years or so that we want to see proof for things. And now science is providing the proof. I My first book is about what happens when somebody's dying and how we're surrounded by angels and the spirits of deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. Well, now there's university-based research that shows that 90% of people at the end of their lives are seeing deceased loved ones and pets in visions or dreams, 90%. And that's amazing. Changing topics for a second about you being a, a young, fabulous widow. Uh, I, I want to ask you what your thoughts are about love life going forward. But first, I have a quick story to share with you that I hope gives you comfort and gives you gives you some sense of peace on this. One of my best girlfriends lost her husband of 38 years after a three and a half year battle with cancer. And at the end of his life, he was saying, well, I'm going to send you somebody. And and uh, she said, well, how will I know it's he's from you? And he said, well, I just am going to send you somebody who can be kind of like a placeholder so you can have fun with them till we can be together in heaven again. And she said, okay, yeah, yeah. And she's called me. She's going, I think it's the morphine. So he's, she said, well, how will I know this guy's from you? And she said, and he said, look for the mermaid. And she said, look for the mermaid. She calls me. She goes, okay, I know it's the morphine now. Anyways, fast forward. He passes. His name was Frank. Lovely guy. Just a fabulous guy. A few months later, somebody set her up on a luncheon date with this guy. 
she goes out to lunch with him and on their second date, second or third date or something, he took her out to dinner. And so he's a retired pilot and he has his own plane. And he said, I want to show you my plane. Can I take you to my hangar? And I said, boy, that's a line if I ever heard it. <laughs> so, oh, you know, you want to come see my Rembrandt in my ha- hangar? So anyways, they go to the hangar, Lenore. And he opens the, you know, the big door to the hangar and there's his plane. And on the tail of the plane is payment, painted a mermaid. Hello. And so they got married a year later of goosebumps. You know, goosebumps to those of you, we keep talking about goosebumps. That's spirit validating what you're doing. You know, what you're hearing or tell, talking about is a true story. So fast forward at their wedding, he, her new husband, Dan, had a diamond and gold necklace made for her in the shape of a mermaid. And after they said their vows, he handed her this necklace and he said, I love you. This is from both of us, meaning Frank and me. And so my point to you is Bruno's going to help send somebody to you. I don't know. You may already have somebody, but no know that that's coming and that Bruno's going to be involved. And my friend is, they'll be married a year in a couple of weeks. And she's just ecstatic. They're touring all over the world and they're having this amazing life. And she still talks to Frank and Frank's there. On the anniversary of Frank's death, her husband, Dan, took her up in the plane and he said, I want you to be closer to Frank in heaven. So they went up and they went flying for the day. So I think that that there are many widows, especially guys don't stay single very long when they're widowed. You know, it's a species thing, I think. I tease my husband. I say, if I'm hit by a bus, there's going to be women, casseroles in hand, lined up around the block wanting to come feed you. <laughs> He's like, I'm not getting married again. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, probably, I'll give you six weeks, maybe six months. But anyways, I think for women especially, it's hard because they feel like they don't want to betray their beloved husband who's died or boyfriend or partner or whomever. Have you found that to be the case with yourself and with uh, some of the other people with whom you've worked in your research? So, so interesting. One of the other studies that I did was I worked with, I worked with 14. Also, I have to say, before I even say that, the energy, I feel it. Bruno's here, all the men, they're just, there's a dog all of a sudden outside in the office barking. I was like, what is going on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the studies I conducted, I worked with 14 widows over time and it was asking or probing into how does working with mediums affect your grief process? And so I worked with, and obviously in my work and advocacy, I work with a lot of other widows, a lot of young widows. So right off the bat, Bruno started sending me in my meditations, like just messages of, I want you to be happy. And and at that point, I was like, you know, your vote doesn't count right now. I am in my own process. Uh, I am not in a relationship now. And I haven't been in a serious relationship since he passed. However, I will say I've done some dating and I know every single person that I've dated, he sent to me before in a meditation. And then when I, the click happened, when I realized it, usually after dating this person, I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is weird. This is crazy. And every relationship, including new friendships and, and you know, everything that's happened since, it's been this incredible, amazing, up and down, sometimes really unsettling, sometimes really beautiful 
experience of falling in love with myself. I know myself better and I trust myself and I like myself more than I ever have. And every iteration of healing, whether it's through a relationship, whether it's through, you know, another layer with uncovering my mediumship and, and you know, working in my research and all of these different things that have happened since Bruno passed, it's all led me back to myself. And I say, as I obviously meditate every day and I, you know, do my, my, my prayer every night. And I know that when my person comes and I do know there will be a second person and I, I've, I can feel their energy and, and I know that Bruno will be a part of sending them. But how lucky is that guy that he gets this version of me, mm-hmm. this empathetic, empathic, settled, at peace, in flow, independent, open, with so much love to give person. And I just know and I trust that when the divine timing is right, it will happen. And I know that, and of course, that's, there's been moments of, you know, incredible loneliness. And I scream sometimes at Bruno and and I know he's my teammate in this. I know that he wouldn't let me down and all these things like, give him to me. Where is he? I'm tired of being, you know, but then that passes and it's, I'm not tired of being alone. It's more like, it's a space to learn, to not look at it as I'm by myself. It's like I'm with myself and Every iteration of learning to be with myself has been incredible. And I think one of the hardest things about being a widow and a young widow was learning how to deal with loneliness. A few weeks ago, so I live in Honolulu in Hawaii. Bruno led me here and I love life here. I love living here. It was a Friday night and I decided to get dressed up and go out on a date. I date myself a lot these days. And so again, it's just like being able to go out to a restaurant by yourself and feel okay and not have to have a phone or a book. It's, I mean, all of these things have helped my soul heal. So I went out on a Friday and I went to this kind of like outdoor center and there's all the honeymooners and families on vacation and young couples and older couples, like every, you know. And so part of me was like, you know, it hurts the heart. Your stomach kind of like jumps a bit and you feel that in your in your lungs and and something. It wasn't that same voice as before. It was my own self voice. It was my own soul. It kind of just washed over me. And I remember just stopping and just looking around. And I took a deep breath and I said to myself, self said to me, there's going to be a time someday where I miss this. Someday I'm going to miss getting dressed up and going on a date by myself and walking around on a Friday. And I just, I have goosebumps all over saying that now, but I remember in the moment of just like breathing, like, wow, like this is, this is a gift. Tonight is a gift. I could look at it and feel really lonely and alone, or I can say, wow, this is something that I'll never have again exactly it is in this moment. This is an experience. This is why I'm here. This is, a part of why my soul came back to learn these things and learn how to feel and be okay with it and find the light and the joy and the beauty and feel every, just feel it, feel it all. And so I let myself feel it. And then I went and had a nice dinner and a glass of wine. But it was like, you know, it's just like these experiences that have happened through widowhood. I thank Bruno and I thank our experience and I thank my own soul for being able to go there through this I mean, just years now of, of deep healing. 
I know myself in a way and I'm good with myself in a way that I've never felt before. Well, all I can say is you better rest up, honey, because you got two babies, spirits, energy above your right shoulder. Yeah. And they look like a little orb. So you're going to be a busy girl here before too long. So rest up because I think it's going to come and it's going to come fast. They're not twins. They're in, they look like, you know, the orb that Glenda the Good Witch comes into Munchkin Land inside. That's yeah. what baby spirits and they attach the mom's energy field before they incarnate. So yours are not multiples, but they're they're close together. I'm not saying that they both will incarnate, but I think there's a really good chance they will. So I'm hearing you saying, yeah, this is a gift that I'm hearing in my head. Yeah, rest up, babe, because <laughs> you're, you're going to be busy. You're going to be busy. Oh, Julie, my gosh. Julie, I'll you then whenever it happens. And, and I feel it too. Yes. I've seen the babies. I've seen them in meditation. I've held them. Like, I'm so in love with them. So I'm going to call you when it happens. I'm like, okay, we need to go out on a Friday night because I do miss that night that I talked about on your show. We'll have to get dressed up and go for our, our easy night out at dinner at the shopping center, whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. I'll, I'll come get you for mom's night out just to give you a little bit of a break. What do you think that it is about communicating with our deceased loved ones that really helps heal grief? I, I do a lot of work with families who've lost a loved one. And to your point earlier about COVID being so, gosh, it was so lonely for so many people and so many people are, are grieving extra hard because they couldn't be with their loved one when they passed. They wouldn't allow them in the hospitals. And so my information is very comforting to them because I say, nobody dies alone. We're all surrounded by angels and the spirits of deceased loved ones and pets, regardless of how they die. It doesn't matter whether it's quick, instant, whether it takes days, weeks, months, year, it doesn't matter. But what is it about being able to communicate with a deceased loved one, usually through a medium. And and what I'm trying to get people to understand is you don't need a medium. Yep. You can do this yourself. No medium is needed in this. What What is it that gives us so much comfort? Mm. I think it relates to past, present, and future. I think for past, it was something in grief, and this is so common with suicide loss survivors, but anyone of, of loss, like we... And I could see if I hadn't gone this way that I would still be three and a half liters ruminating over the why, over I wish that I had done something else. I wish, you know, all of these different things in the past. And I don't, it, I, that's, I've reconciled that. I don't feel the pain anymore. I don't live in the past. It's like I understand why things happened as they did. And there's a release in that. I have my why to a point where, and that came through meditations. It did come through working with mediums as well to get validation for what I innately knew from working with Bruno. But I've reconciled the past in a way that I don't feel stuck in the past. And and while I'll, of course, always carry grief with me, I don't look back and wish different things. Like I understand it in a bigger scheme of life. In terms of the present, like working with mediumship, in when I say mediumship, it could be seeing mediums or it could be our own in meditation, in energy healing, whatever it may be. It brings a solace to the present. It makes our body feel different. 
we get insights. It's like right now where I am and I meditate every day, every morning, it's the first thing I do. And it's been something so healing and so normalizing. Like I have something normal to hold on to. I have some sort of, you know, a, a routine and that was so important in grief, but now it's just my body craves it. If I don't meditate for a couple of days, like it's like a child who hasn't eaten all day. It's not pretty. And but in the present, it gives us when we connect to spirit, it grounds us, it anchors us, it opens us up, it it helps us just be. And so it's like, what am I doing today in my grief? Oh, I'm communicating with my own soul. Oh, I'm bringing my spirit team close. Oh, I'm bringing in my loved ones. Like I know that today I have this. And then there's the future aspect. When we work with our loved ones in spirit, we see the ways that they're going to continue being with us and that I'm going to continue living this incredible life and a life that's really come out of both Bruno's in my relationship and my own independent self and my grief and experience. But I know that going forward, as I look to what's next, they're beautiful things. And so it's not just grief. It's not only the pain that I feel right now. If I can hold on and still trust and really lean into this experience of life, there are incredible things that are happening and that will happen. And sometimes, I, I mean, it was horrific. Of course it is being a young widow. There were moments where it was terrible and I would just try to hold on to, I know it's not always going to be like this. And in this moment, is there anything, something that I can understand that would help my heart? And it doesn't feel like how it did, you know, even a year ago, two years ago, certainly not how it felt three years ago, but just knowing that there's something here to my right that's coming in the future. And I think as well, working with Bruno around, you know, how he passed, and understanding him in a new light, and really that's a part of the work and the advocacy that I do now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that just ending our experience here on earth is not going to make the pain go away. We have to deal with it somewhere, whether it's over here or whether it's over there. And what Bruno has told me from the other side, and I have to hold this close and trust it because there have been so many other validations of things that I can objectively validate um, or trust. He's let me know that if we don't deal with it here. We deal with it on the other side. But if we deal with it here on this side, if we work through our pain on this side, if we allow ourselves to heal on this side, this is where we have a huge impact. This is where we can shape how we live out our life. This is how we can affect people around us directly and indirectly. When we heal on this side, when we talk about things, when we open ourselves up to sharing our story, when we let light in, this is where we get to experience the deep, deep fruits of that. And then it continues on the other side. I know that he's healing on the other side. I know he's experiencing beautiful light. I feel him just big and beautiful there. But I know that he wouldn't leave me to not have him do this on this side. There's too much I have to do over here. And that was the future. Even if I had no idea, and I didn't in the beginning, I didn't know what I would be doing to have some sort of an impact on myself or others. I just trusted that there had to be something. And all of that came from working with spirit, with working with Bruno, with opening up to relationships with ancestors who I didn't even know. My great, great grandmother comes to me and I've been able to validate things that she's given me. She spoke French. We speak in French and meditation. I don't speak very good French day to day, but I mean, just opening up to this world of knowing myself and my lineage and my soul, because I work with my loved ones on the other side, all of that happened and the healing happened because of those relationships. And that can't come from, you know, 
therapy that can't come from pretending that grief doesn't hurt that can't come from pretending that loss didn't happen that comes from opening up to it and then inviting our loved ones close wow great explanation when you were first talking with Bruno and I'm sure asking him, Bruno, what happened? What what were you thinking or were you not thinking or whatever? Did he give you specific information that helped you be able to figure out, okay, he was in a lot of pain and nobody knew it. Did he give you details? Not that you need to share them, but but did he provide enough information that it made sense to you. Yeah. Yes, he did. He left. He did. So one of the first messages that he gave me was in the first week of his passing. He came to me as it was, it was not an auditory experience. It wasn't a clear audience experience, like the voices. It was more like a sentient feeling. It was almost like a telepathic impression. And he told me, go to my laptop, look for this particular folder. It's a hidden folder under this name. And I didn't even know you could hide folders on a computer. I mean, you know, Bruno was an engineer. He was an eternal engineer. He was also incredibly talented at making sure that he contained everything. So he had hidden this folder. And I went to it. It was exactly as he impressed on me. And in that folder, it was the night before he had crossed, he had organized subfolders of his writings. And he had written enough for me to understand. And then over the months after his passing, he gave me impressions that I was able to validate that helped me piece together what it was that he was dealing with. And he had gone through horrific childhood trauma that he never told me about, horrific abuse. And and he never let himself seek help. And he was conditioned. And, and a lot of the work that I do now as a social worker is working through adults who've gone through childhood trauma. And there's a conditioning that happens that you're terrified to seek help because you've been conditioned to keep it close. And part of the work and why I speak so openly about it is it's not like how you've been told to believe that it is. There are incredible ways that we can help it heal. And part of that and part of Bruno's and my story that continues on through me is talking about it, normalizing it and breaking down those things that we've been told, just like we're told that we shouldn't talk about when we feel our loved ones come close or we shouldn't talk about, you know, whatever the experience is. Again, going back to stigmatizing you know, the, the very beautiful human experience when we share it. So, yeah, so he did give me enough information and it was really, again, by trusting it. And then he would give me, because he knows my data-centered mind, he would give me enough that I could objectively validate it. Um, and I was able to reconcile it and do the best that I could to, you know, write things on his side um, as his wife. But I also knew, and this was, I absolutely know that it was his energy telling me this. He absolutely gave me space that it wasn't like my life was not going to be dedicated to, you know, vindicating my husband. It was, yes, I will tell our story. Yes, I will help other survivors. Absolutely. But my life is not going to be defined by what happened to Bruno. And I know he didn't want that for me. He has his karma that he's working out with other people. And I have to trust that that is, it's not all about him and me as a couple. We have our slice and he has other slices as well. And I trust that. But it's by, I mean, that's what I was saying about, I understand and the why of what happened. It's like, I got to a place where in my body, it felt like I, knew enough. And now I have to move forward in my own grief and in my own life. And what am I going to do with this experience that perhaps I signed up for in some way before I came back or some derivative of that. But there's, I know that it's not all about pain and suffering. There's always the point, I truly believe this, the point of all of this is to somehow shed light and love 
it's all about bringing light and love and healing to ourselves, but to the spaces around us. And that is what I've held and really kept close throughout this experience. I agree. I have, it's coming to mind, I have a client whose son died at college and it was really weird circumstances. He died in a garage at a shopping center near the campus and there weren't any cameras on and nobody could give him any information. And was he pushed? Did he jump? What happened? Nobody knew. They just got a call that their son had died. And we were talking with the son's spirit. The son didn't want to share what happened. The son was sharing all this other evidential information to let his parents know that he was there. But he, and, and his mom was, his dad was more accepting of it. His mom was still pushing, pushing, pushing. But what happened? Was there a cover-up? Who was involved? Were there any friends with you? I mean, she was like a detective wanting to know these facts. And he kept saying, mom, give it up. It was the way that I wanted to go. I chose to go that way. I chose everything. Know that I'm around you. Know that you can communicate with me, all of that. And I could tell that the mom was, she she was not happy because it was not the information that she was looking for. Although the dad was very happy because he had told him a whole bunch of stuff that they otherwise, I mean, that I didn't know that just confirmed that we were really talking with him. Have you run into that in the past? And what do you think is going on there when that information, this the person who's passed, their spirit doesn't want to go through all of it? I, the, the only thing I got was that the mom would suffer more if she knew more of the details. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think in my own experience, I just, I trusted what Bruno gave me. It made sense. Also, in, in terms of being a social worker, although I wasn't experienced in, in or trained in childhood trauma, in everything, or child abuse, what he gave me, looking at it objectively in patterns, like it just fit and made sense. And of course, I didn't want to believe it, but with time, it's like, I understand. And this was, again, like this was his trajectory and as close and, you know, embedded as we we were as a couple and just, you know, so tight. I had to trust that he had his own path as well. I think with people, so I did do readings for, I don't do um, one-on-ones anymore, um, but I was doing readings for some time as a medium when this first opened up. And I would get a lot of, obviously, a lot of suicide loss uh, clients. And absolutely, that's something that comes up with a traumatic loss or loss when there are questions and things even like homicide. Um, I remember I had a homicide client and the it was a sibling who came forth and he gave enough details about like where he was in the hospital after and things that led up to it and who was with him but he didn't want to go into the details of it and and i think for the person who i was reading that was okay but i could tell that they were hoping for something else and i don't know why spirit sometimes doesn't give all of the information um I don't know if it's in some cases it may be, and I think this was Bruno's case, it took him some time over there as he was healing to really come to terms with what he had gone through. And we're still our souls when we transition. And so he was still trying to reconcile things that in 35 or 34 years, he didn't really understand fully when he was physically here. So I think part of it is like on the other side, souls are understanding and reconciling what happened. I think part of it is, yeah, the protection and part of it too, like I mean, people will ask me as as a survivor, like, you know, what happened on that day? And 
things, you know, questions, really personal questions, yes, but more than anything, re-traumatizing. And yeah. I don't know, maybe I don't have the answer for this, but maybe for a soul, it's re-traumatizing. Re re excuse me, I can't even say the word. I get tongue-tied when spirit comes close. But re-traumatizing for them as well to relive it. And maybe for them, it's been reconciled in some way. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the answer exactly is. And it's probably varied across across um, different experiences. But what I do know is they'll give that evidence, right? And we know this. So they'll give the evidence to validate who they are and why they're here. And then there's always something about the healing moving forward. And yeah. us, though, as grievers, we want the answers because it's almost like I need that to be able to move forward. And I think in my own experience, what I allowed myself, and this came through meditation, was I could spend the rest of my life really trying to get every detail. And I had to, and I did this like in an energy clearing with myself in meditation. I was like, I release this. I release it. I have to release it. Because if I don't, if I don't come to a place where I accept that enough of what I have is enough, then I will live the rest of my life not living out the other reasons of why I'm here. And that was just something I had to come to in my own time. It took a couple of years and it also couldn't be rushed. It wasn't a cognitive analytical process. I mean, people were telling me within months of like, Len, you've got to move forward. Len, you have to move forward. And it's like, I will get there. I will get there. But this has to be done on my time, on my terms. And I think that's what it is for all of us. And what helped move that forward was working in the body, working in the soul, working spiritually, working somatically. That really helped it come to a place where just in my cells, I was like, okay, I'm ready for the next chapter. Well, I told this mom and I've told many other, especially parents who've lost a child, this will never make sense to you as long as you're in human form, ever. No matter how many details you get, no matter if you can piece together the whole puzzle and you have every fact of every detail of what happened, it will still never make sense to you. And so to your point, it's just part of the healing process is to be able to move on. Do you think that you and Bruno planned all this before you both incarnated? Do you think that this was, I don't know, destiny or something that you planned in heaven? You said, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be this girl and I, and then you come in and we're going to meet and then here's what's going to happen. Do you think that that, that goes on? Do you think that you and Bruno kind of, you know, were plotting and a planning before either of you were, were, in, were born? Yes and no. I think parts of it, absolutely. We met, I was backpacking. We were 21 and 23. We met at a karaoke bar, like an underground karaoke bar in his hometown on a Wednesday at midnight. Like, okay. I hardly spoke Spanish when we met. Um, I now speak fluent Spanish. We taught each other our languages. So we ran into each other and I was like, well, you know, he's cute, but I didn't think anything of it. I'm, you know, in my early twenties and backpacking in Argentina, there are handsome men everywhere. Like I'm foot, foot, foot loose and fancy free. And then the next day I'm walking down the street. I was with my best friend, and I'm walking down the street and I look over and there's Bruno and I'm like, oh, okay. And so we chatted and we decided to, you know, get together that night, go to a club or something. And my friend and I continued on. We went to get lunch. And then an hour later, we run into each other again. And I told him, I said, either you're really creepy or this is destiny. And he goes, he has an amazing sense of humor. He still does. And he goes, well, either you're really creepy 
or this is destiny. And that night we met and I just, I was in love with him from that. It was never anyone but Bruno. It was, oh my God, just so in love with him. And we went out that night and and we had to move mountains to be together. And we did. And yeah, we were long distance for years, at learning each other's languages. We lived across the world together. And there were, I mean, there were so many signs that kept bringing us back, kept everything. It was, just, it was he and I. Do I believe that we had pre-written what would happen? I don't know in terms of his passing. I think for, that's the human side of traumatic loss. It's hard to accept that. I don't, and as an advocate for survivors of childhood abuse, I don't believe that it was preordained that he needed to take his life in order for that to happen. I do believe for in whatever capacity that part of why he came back was to break karmic ties of abuse and to shed light on male abuse and survivorship and all of this. And part of it, I'm you know manifesting and living that out for us. I think that part of my path was to normalize things like mediumship and normalize intuitive healing. And I think that that was absolutely part of my path. And it maybe could have played out in myriad different ways. Who knows? I do believe, I've talked to other survivors of, of loss who've had similar experiences. And someone said, well, is suicide not just, you know, another exit point? And I don't know. I think, I mean, there's so many reasons why suicide happens. I know that Bruno had many brushes with death before he passed. I mean, he had a ski accident. He had a swimming accident. He choked once. I was there and I was the one who actually brought him out of it. And I don't believe, honestly, I don't believe and I don't, I have no way to validate this other than it's what my body tells me and my gut and someday on the other side, I'll have the answer. But I don't believe that Bruno would have passed in any of those ways because if he had his story of his what he lived through wouldn't have come out and then what we're doing now to bring and shed light to that wouldn't have happened um i oh, i feel him close as well as as he's here and as as i feel him close i also feel him you know taking some responsibility in his own path and i have to as well as his wife and and now his widow i have to you know give him space for that it's like he he was an adult. He made his decisions. Obviously, as his wife, I don't agree with them. I wish that he had told me and he had gone to therapy and all these different things. But I do know that his soul is such a good, beautiful, big soul, as all souls are, but his is particularly magical. And he would not have passed without doing something so Bruno, which is to be such an incredible healer. I mean, he's the just most loving person that I've really that I've ever known. He's so loving and he would not have passed without being able to continue that love that he shares. And I know that he continues to do that both through our work, but in other ways as well. It's been my experience in talking with thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of spirits over the years that all spirits are pure love. And that in this spirit world, that the whole evil spirit thing is just, for it doesn't exist, nor does hell. All spirits go to heaven, you know, no matter how awful they are in their human existence. I always say the personality stays with the body when somebody dies. And they'll show their personality when we're talking to them at times, just to let the loved ones know, okay, it's really me. You know, I really did wear a Barney costume for Halloween when I was four, you know, or something just like out of the blue that only the family would know. But the other thing that I hear all the time, Lenore, from spirit is 
that in the in heaven in the spirit world there's no right or wrong there's no good or bad it's just an experience so we look at something as horrific like what you experienced with bruno's passing and yet in the spirit world they're saying hmm that's interesting what did you what did you get out of that and the other thing that i get all the time is when we're doing past life scans there will be a semblance of past lives of a script through multiple past lives that will run and it will be like, okay, you're the widow in this lifetime. Maybe you're the one that died by suicide in a previous life that you guys were together. Maybe you were the parent of, the sibling of, the friend of, the colleague of, the whatever of. In this round, you're exploring what it is to be the widow of at this time in history with this set of circumstances so that your life can be on a trajectory that has led you to what you're doing now. That is feasible to me. Do I understand it all the way? No. Will I understand it when I get to heaven? Yes. But I, but it's feasible to me. Do you find the same thing? I do. I, I, I do now. I'll say three and a half, almost four years out. In the very beginning of grief and loss, and especially not having a spiritual orientation before to kind of guide me through, I mean, those it's 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 a hard thing to swallow in the beginning. Sure. But I think yeah. over time, it makes sense, and it makes a whole lot more sense to me than this was all for naught. I mean, I just right. I don't believe that at all, and and I've always been someone who has a pretty positive and light-filled outlook on light. I would say that's even more so thanks to healing and working with other people who are just, I mean, amazing people who it's like objectively looking at what we've gone through. It's like, how are you okay? How are you even breathing? Let alone being such a force of light in, in the space where you are now. But I have to believe that. I have to believe that there's something beautiful underlying our experiences. And it's also something that we're, I don't think we're supposed to fully understand when it happens. Like, how could we? Uh, what would be the point of that if we had a playbook? It's like, yes, there are going to be questions. Of course, there are going to be things that I don't understand fully. And some of those things are also really beautiful to lean into. Just like, teach me, show me, why not? Um, and then what can I learn from the experiences to feed into my lived life, my human life? But I completely agree with you. I also really want to underscore, I completely agree with you. And I agree with you because I don't have any evidence that would suggest otherwise. I don't believe in dark spirits either. I believe I've only felt love from the other side. And I think that one of the things that I've met both with people who either from have a religious background or from a scientific background is like, we don't want to go there with getting to know our loved ones on the other side because there's a fear around it. And it's like, there is only love and knowledge and right. wisdom on the other yeah. side. And I think that is so important for people going through grief and loss to understand for themselves. We all get there in our own time. Nobody can tell us what to believe. Um, but just in my experience, I don't have any evidence that would suggest, and even the things like like seeing you know, a premonition of Bruno's funeral beforehand, that was not meant to scare me. That was a piece of information to communicate. And so yeah. it's like when we feel into these things and get curious about them and not be afraid of them, it's like moving through. It's like moving through also the pain of grief. When I allow that to no longer be a barrier and it's more like talk to me, converse with me, whatever this emotion is, that's where the beautiful insight comes. 
I agree. And there's an exercise that I do with people who are afraid to die because they've they've grown up in a religion or a culture with the whole heaven and hell thing. Are you going to fly or are you going to fry when you die? And so I do this exercise and I teach it in my classes called the walk to heaven. And it's a dress rehearsal of what's going to happen when our spirit separates from our body and how once we get through the pearly gates, which looks like this brilliant plasma wall to me, by the way, that all of our deceased loved ones and pets are there waiting for us. And when I do this exercise with people, and I've done it thousands of times with people at the end of their lives, there's this roar that I hear like a crowd in a stadium when a touchdown is made. You know, you got 100,000 people at a stadium and you just hear this, Why? and you know, everybody's going nuts. And I hear that when the person gets through the pearly gates and then it's hard to pry them back. And in every situation where I've done the walk to heaven with somebody, the person who's afraid to die usually passes within a couple of days. It's really remarkable. And it it alleviates all of that fear yeah. that's come up that's all been created by man to control the masses is my feeling about it. All right, one last question. Why do we incarnate? Oh, goodness. Okay. I'm asking Bruno, I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, it's your question. I'm like, okay, that's fine. <sighs> You know, because I've thought about this question over and over and over in grief of like, why, if I chose a life here, like, why, why, and why would I choose this? And uh, I was getting emotional about it. I think we incarnate. I think we incarnate to become the biggest dose of love that we can be. And I think we go through really painful things to find that love, to love ourselves more, to love other people more, to understand and be compassionate, to see people and be able to walk in their shoes, to really see people, like really see people. And I think if we let ourselves move into a space where we feel love, even amidst horrific, unfathomable things, I mean, what more incredible balm for the world could there be? And so I think the big underlying reason of why we come back is to be loved, to share love, to give love, to see love, do love, just love, 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 love. Yeah. Well said, my girl. Well said. How can people learn more about you and your work? Mm-hmm. You can visit my website, which is drlenormatthew.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And I do courses, workshops, um, talk. I'm a very verbose person. I love to talk. As we saw here, I'll talk all day. Um, I have a page also of um, interviews and articles that I've written. And there's lots more there as well. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your wisdom and and share how you've come out of a horrific life experience and and you're just soaring and helping others along the way. So everybody, thanks for joining us this week. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home Alabama and from Hawaii too. 
what do they say for Hawaii? Mahalo or something like that. Right? Mahalo and aloha. Mahalo and aloha from Hawaii. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.